is essential that we continue the path of correction in relation to the state finances and in relation to the banking difficulties which have beset us in recent years. And I'm Jacob Goldstein. Today is Tuesday, November 23rd, and that was Irish Finance Minister Brian Lenahan you heard at the top. And today on the show, we'll be talking a lot about Ireland. Uh, the country, of course, is asking for what's basically a bailout from the European Union and the International Monetary Fund. The mess that Ireland finds itself in right now all really goes back to one decision the Irish made in the fall of 2008, a decision that changed the course of the country and, yes, Jacob, the world. But before the world, the Planet Money Indicator. I'm ready. Today's Planet Money Indicator is 81%. 81% of the banks in the U.S. made a profit in the third quarter of this year. That's according to figures out from the FDIC today. And it's the highest percentage since the middle of 2008, back before the financial crisis got really crazy. So I want to know about the 19%. Because 81% profitable means 19% are unprofitable, which sounds like it's still a lot of banks that are losing money. That's definitely true. But what we're seeing really is a lot of problems in small banks, particularly in places uh, where the real estate market is especially bad. And one place that's really clear is if you look at this problem bank list that the FDIC has, they updated that as well today. And that list grew to 860 banks. So there are a lot of banks in the country that are indeed in trouble right now. This is the highest number of banks we've seen on this problem list since the early 1990s. But if you add up all of the assets of all 860 banks on this list, it's still a, a small fraction of the assets of one of the giant banks. So, so the big picture is the big banks are doing well. The banking system overall is doing OK, but still lots of small banks with real problems. So on to Ireland. And to set the stage here, I wanted to play a short clip of this audio that my friend sent me. A friend of mine in Northern Ireland listens to this show often called Good Morning Ulster. And last Thursday, she was listening to the show, and she heard this guy, Peter Oburn, chief political commentator for the British newspaper, The Daily Telegraph. I mean, I, it's heartbreaking, but Ireland is bankrupt. I mean, it, uh, literally bankrupt. The banks are bankrupt. The state is bankrupt. And it's... Um, um, it goes down to the catastrophic mistake made by the Irish government in the immediate aftermath of, of the banking collapse two years ago. What Oburn calls this catastrophic mistake, it's basically a decision that the Irish government made in the heat of the financial crisis. It's an unprecedented decision for Ireland. And even though Ireland is this little peripheral country, this decision ended up traveling around the world in a matter of days and, and really forcing the hands of some of the biggest economies in the world. And it all begins in the early 2000s. So Ireland had this huge boom that was mostly driven by real estate. I talked to Colm McCarthy, an economics professor at University College Dublin, and he says in Dublin there were these big glass corporate buildings shooting up all over the place. And if you'd go to the countryside, there were sprawling housing developments growing alongside grazing cattle and, and nearby these tiny villages. And Irish banks, he says, were lending heaps of money to... Uh, just about anybody and everybody, it became incredibly easy to get mortgages uh, for house purchase. Uh, they were lending 100% of the purchase price. Interest rates were low. Uh, house prices rocketed upwards, as you can imagine. 
Uh, and they also made uh, enormous loans, billions and billions, to various developers and builders and so on. And lots of banks had balance sheets that doubled or even trebled. Uh, and people just built and built and built. So a lot of this sounds familiar to our housing bubble. But the crazy thing to me, talking to people in Ireland, was just that Ireland had no experience with bubbles. Like, people kept telling me, Ireland has essentially been poor forever. And over the last 10 years, that was changing for the very first time. And and it was changing in a way that was much more dramatic than what we saw here if we look at the U.S. as a whole. Housing prices shot up even higher than they did in the U.S. It's really like if we take one little corner of the U.S. where the housing bubble was super crazy, like if we take South Florida, which actually has a population that's about the same size as Ireland, and think of South Florida as a country, right? So it has this crazy boom and then this huge bust, and it's a total mess. And instead of being just like, oh, it's South Florida – all due respect to South Florida, it's a whole country. It's Ireland. And then, of course, fall 2008, the global economy collapses. And in Ireland, a lot of those homeowners and developers aren't paying back the banks, and the Irish government gets worried. That the banks are going to go bust. Had that happened in Ireland before? Never. There had never been a system-wide banking crisis in Ireland. Uh, so it was the first, first real credit bubble in the history of the country. This is where we get to that fateful choice. It's, it's September of 2008. Things are crazy in the global economy. And in Ireland, the government is afraid of a run on the banks. They're basically afraid that people are going to take all their money out of these Irish banks and put their money in other countries and that Irish banks will collapse and the whole economy of Ireland will fall apart. So on September 30th, Ireland's finance minister steps up to this podium and says the Irish government will stand behind the nation's banks. That means every person who has a checking account, every person who has a savings account at an Irish bank, the government is saying, if your bank goes under, you'll get all your money back. And this is something the U.S. and other countries do to a limited extent. The U.S. has bank deposit insurance. So if you have a deposits in the bank, they're insured up to a certain amount. There's a limit. And if there's a run on your bank or if your bank goes under, the government will step in and insure those deposits. But that is not what the Irish government was saying it was going to do. The Irish didn't say, we'll guarantee up to 100,000 euros or 250,000 or even a million euros. No, no. The, the, the Irish government said all deposits without limit. And, and not just deposits, but also uh, bonds that are issued to investors by the banks. So the, the government extended the guarantee uh, without limit to all of the liabilities or virtually all of the liabilities of the Irish banking system. So basically the government said anything that a bank does, we guarantee it. Yes, in essence. So it was a huge story. Irish banks, no matter how badly run or how risky, were now fully guaranteed by the taxpaying public of Ireland. And until this point in the global financial crisis drama unfolding everywhere, no country had done that. And when Ireland did, other countries noticed. Simon Johnson is an economist at MIT and the Peterson Institute. You've heard him on this podcast many times. And he says... The first thing that happened was that the U.K. government saw Ireland guaranteeing its banks and got scared. Well, if, you, if you're in London and you have two banks next to each other, a, a big British bank and a big Irish bank, and the Irish bank is backed by the Irish government and you believe the Irish government to be solvent, then you're tempted to move your money. And that's a, just a very easy thing to do. 
you know, in, in the age of internet banking, that takes you five minutes. Now, this makes a lot of sense, right? Imagine you have a bank account in London, and it's September 2008, and the world economy is falling apart, and you don't know what's going to happen to your money in this British bank. You think, this bank could fall apart, and, and I'll lose some chunk of my money. And then Ireland comes out and says, we, the Irish government, promise you that we will guarantee all of your money in our bank. And by the way, here's a branch of our bank right next to your bank in London. That's very compelling. So on October 8th, 2008, eight days after Ireland guaranteed its banks, the UK did too. The German government, they were panicking at that time. This is Sebastian Dulin. He teaches economics at the University of Applied Sciences in Berlin. I think they were a little annoyed. They were annoyed because that meant then that obviously funds were moving after this guarantee was made. Funds were moving from countries like Germany or France to Ireland because depositors were thinking, well, there my funds are safe. So and this was, was what, what triggered then the reaction, for example, in Germany to say, well, we also guarantee all private bank deposits in German banks. The Germans were also annoyed because the Germans and the Irish are both part of the Eurozone. They both share the same currency. And the Germans were thinking, you don't spring this kind of thing on us. You coordinate with your Eurozone partners. You maybe announce a guarantee altogether. But no. So, of course, the Germans basically had no choice. They came out and announced their own guarantee program. The Germans seemed to be annoyed about Ireland doing it first. Um, as far as I remember, they didn't, they didn't take much time or effort to coordinate with the neighbors, with, the, with partners either. So those partners he's talking about, he means the other countries in the European Union. And sure enough, soon after Germany announced its guarantee, the EU came out with another guarantee of deposits in EU banks. And the EU also put extra money into its banks. And that, in turn, either pressured the Americans or created a wind of opportunity for the Treasury to say, aha, we should do the same. And they changed uh, dramatically the policies they had. Okay, so on to the United States. So the U.S., you might remember, in the fall of 2008, was a little preoccupied. Lehman Brothers had gone down. AIG was falling apart. Everything was a mess. And the U.S. was working on this unique plan of its own that involved toxic assets to help its banks. And all of a sudden, the rest of the world is moving in a different direction. European countries are guaranteeing deposits, and many are putting money, putting capital directly into the banks. I think there was an aha moment for the U.S. Treasury. They said, OK, this is what the Europeans are doing. We can see this is getting could get out of control here, just like it could in Europe. We need to put more capital into our big banks. So Ireland guarantees its banks, and it, it has all this influence on what the U.K. does and what Germany does and on what the EU does and on what the U.S. does. So why is it that now, two years later, Ireland needs a bailout from the EU and the IMF and the U.S. and the U.K. and Germany? I mean, we're not on fire. Our economies aren't doing great. But, like, the banks are okay. We don't need some global bailout. We're not about to go bankrupt. So what's the difference between Ireland and everybody else? Simon Johnson says three things, two important things and one enormously important thing. Number one. We did not, the United States did not extend a blanket guarantee. That was smart. Ireland, remember, guaranteed everything in its banks, all deposits and everything, all the bonds issued to investors. The U.S. and every other country's bailout had limits. So that's number one. Number two, 
Ireland is stuck with the euro. So we talked about this problem with Greece on a previous podcast. Ireland shares a currency with 15 other countries, and all those countries have their own economies, their own interests. Some are healthy, some are sick. So one of the normal things a country can do in a crisis, devalue its currency, for instance. Ireland is stuck. It can't do that. So that's number two. And number three, number three is the one Simon Johnson says is the most important. The Irish banks are even bigger relative to the Irish economy than our banks are relative to our economy. So the largest three banks in Ireland at at their peak had a total balance sheet. So this means the size of their assets and their liabilities, two times the size of the Irish economy. So three banks, twice the size of the Irish economy. In contrast, our largest uh, six banks at the time, the same time, in fall 2008, were about 58% of the U.S. economy. So they were too big to save, if you like. So everybody knows, everybody's heard about too big to fail when you save the banks. But there's a worse problem, it turns out. It's too big to save when the banks, you want to save them, you'd like to prevent collapse because it comes with lots of awful consequences, but you can't afford to because the banks are so big relative to your economy. Ireland made a decision two years ago to guarantee its banks, but it can't actually afford all the expected losses because the banks are so much larger than the entire Irish economy. So what do you do in this scenario? This is the question that we put to Ken Rogoff. He's an economist at Harvard, and he seemed like the perfect guy to ask because he's actually studied 800 years of these financial crises and government defaults. Right now, uh, the... Irish banks particularly need to get funds to pay off their depositors, people withdrawing money, and nobody wants to give them the funds. So uh, we're going to see the European Stabilization Fund and the International Monetary Fund step in and say everything's fine. We're backing them. They're going to hope that maybe the Irish growth miracle will just reflower after this. It'll boom. It'll be okay. Could happen. But they're so deep, it's a long shot. More likely is they struggle for a year or two and just see they can't do it. And we'll have this drama again and again where things are getting worse. They lend them more money. But at the end of the day, I think we'll see a restructuring. So ultimately, Rogoff says this one decision that Ireland made when they said, we as a nation are going to make good on all of the debts for all of our banks This was more than Ireland can handle. And in the end, probably, it'll mean that Ireland won't be able to pay off its national debt. But in the meantime, they're hoping that this buys them some time and maybe the global economy comes back and that will help them get out of it without having to default. That's certainly the picture that Ireland is selling to the world right now. In the meantime, while they're waiting to see what happens, the very thing that Ireland was afraid of back in 2008, that people would take their money out of Irish banks and move it to the UK or Germany and elsewhere, that's happening now. You can see just how big Irish banks are relative to the economy in remarkable graph form on the blog. It's actually a really astounding graph at npr.org slash money. And as always, please let us know what you think. You can email us at planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Jacob Goldstein. And I'm Khana Jaffe-Walt. Thank you for listening. Life happened, house kids, two cars, husband, his the jar checks that don't go very far now. 
Now she ain't making changes, she keeps her mind on her wages The only rattling cages that you have when we cry 